welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Pam join us. She used to be an intellectual property lawyer, but is now a birth doula. That is no easy change in career paths, so I think she has a ton of wisdom. Together, we talk about the antidote to perfectionism, the worship of marriage, and she ties in a reflective art meditation that I think would be very beneficial for everyone to try. So, tune in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply fine it's great to have you i'm glad you're here me too i'm glad to be here yes um okay so before we do anything any questions anything that you specifically want to aim towards talking about that i could kind of lead to or anything um not really i don't know if you have like a direction that you want to specifically aim for or if we can just like flow um but yeah, I'm I'm pretty open. Cool. I mean, I think definitely with Michelle's interview and all the other people, there's definitely more of like a personal vibe to it. I loved Michelle's interview, by the way. So I thought that amazing. episode was so good. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I did. I've listened to a handful. I went and checked out the podcast um, when she connected us, and so yeah. I've been just listening. Cool. Um, and enjoying it, but I really enjoyed her episode. I think not just because I know her, but also that was a cool added layer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's what's unique because I am a doctoral student in clinical psychology. Like I really want to add a level of like just normalizing the range of human emotions. And I was so Mm -hmm. happy that she was just like willing to be vulnerable about that. Yeah, I know. She was so like down to earth. Yes. Yeah. So she's, she's a great human. I was really happy that I was able to chat with her. How do you know her? We were roommates our freshman year in college. Amazing. um, Is how we met. (laughs) And so we were, we became really close because we were freshmen in college together. And we've just like loosely kept in touch all of these years and have like a small group of really close friends who just I feel like soul people of mine who I met when I was like 18 or 19. Wow. I haven't seen regularly pretty much since then, but, uh, you know, we'll like travel to each other's weddings and right. stop by and see each other whenever we're in each other's respective areas of the world. Um, so it's really cool because it's like on the one hand, I know her deeply. And on the other hand, we haven't been around each other that much since we were 18 years old. 
so it's cool to hear her as like a grown up. Yes. <laughs> um, and the work that she's doing and um, how she's still the same person, but has also grown, grown. up. Yeah. Yeah, you know? exactly. It was so empowering when she was talking about her book and she was like, yeah, it was terrifying. And I did it. That is, that's it. Like, that's a beautiful that's thing. That's the vibe. Yeah, exactly. Vibe. <laughs> I have, a, um, I have two kids and my oldest is about to turn three. And that's something that I see him doing all the time. Mm. And I admire so much about him because I think when you're two, almost everything you do is so new. And when you're 32, it's easy enough to stay in your comfort zone if you want to. But like, he's just always and he talks, he will frequently be like, Mommy, I feel a little nervous. Mm. Um, And I'm like, okay, do you want a break? Do you want to like, that's good. Do you want to try and play with the other kids anyway? And he's like, No, I want to keep playing. Uh, I mean, you handle (laughs) that so well. That's a level of not negation of the self. Which I feel like a lot of parents would do, no, just go back there. Just go back, go play. Versus like you acknowledge and you're present with him. That's beautiful. That could be a whole other conversation <laughs> on like how parent. parenting brings up your own insecurities and yes. shadow sides and like yeah. to like how to like distinguish when it's like okay this makes me feel awkward and embarrassed because I'm embarrassed that I'm socially awkward but I'm gonna try not to like shove that on him right and that takes like a very deep level of self-awareness and then to implement an action that's even more like that's just a lot I don't even know how to combat that problem constantly pushing growth who do do i even talk to to have that conversation with like on a podcast i bet i know some people some conscious parents (laughs) or yeah anybody that you have connected you get to pick who i interview next so i know (laughs) knowing that that's like part of the format i've been kind of thinking about it and like and think at first i was like who and then i was like actually there's so many rad people in my life I love this idea. I think it's so cool, like, just to gab about my own thing. But, like, I, I get to meet so many cool people that are on the same wavelength that I would have never known to even look for. So now you have people that you're like, no, I know these people will hit it. And, like, that's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, it is a really cool idea. I've never heard of any other podcast, to, at least not that I know of, where it's structured that same way. Definitely. I just have to trust that the people I reach out to, like, come on and like I think that the community-ness of it is work and like I have to trust that like releasing an episode every week that like I will still continue to have people oh yeah I can imagine that uh it can feel like I'm a, trusting. <laughs> yeah I can imagine that can feel like you're relinquishing some power there certainly because then you're like do I have a creative direction and you're like I'm trusting that the creative direction. Yeah, faith-based creative direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, what am I going to talk about in episode 20? I don't know. And like, that's kind of cool. And so. Right. Don't even, That is yeah. so interesting. So why, when I, okay, when I saw that, like my introduction to the podcast was by Michelle introducing me, which I think is partly why I'm a little nervous because like, mm. other times when I've been interviewed, it's somebody who I know and I'm like familiar with like the. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um the voice definitely but although I'm feeling a lot less nervous already but (laughs) when I was and I was like oh that means I'll have to pick somebody and not have before I like really listened to the show I was like okay what anarchists do I know because the name of the podcast is modern anarchy Mm -hmm. and then listening to the show I was like okay they all probably have to be like literal anarchists um Although I know a couple. Yeah, I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a 
it's a loose term. I think it originally came from the concept of relationship anarchy, uh-huh. which I'm focusing on for my dissertation and like hopefully cool. creating um, just anything on it. There's really nothing on it at all. There was like one queer feminist paper from Spain, but like other than that, nothing. And so that's what I'm focusing on. And I think I was thinking about like, yeah, anarchy, what does that mean to like deny these power structures? And I think there's so much of like the conscious objectors of like stuff like you do, stuff like what I do of just like, I'm not going to take society at face value of what it tells me to believe in. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny because basically that philosophy and that mindset is very much like an underlying like an underlying thing that touches many different Yes. Apps. I was I was personally not surprised, but I think other people might be surprised listening to your episode on the like voluntary female sterilization. Mm-hmm. How much of what she was saying is the same thing that I the same philosophies in my work Mm. as a birth doula, which you would might think are kind of opposite things. The decision to make sure that you never, ever have kids versus like the path of helping people on their journey to having kids. But the conversations around like bodily autonomy and agency. Exactly. um, Pretty much the same. I mean, we can start recording whenever you're ready. I want to hear it. Like, okay, I'm ready. How do you you feel like they're the same thing? I think this is a beautiful concept because that's on opposite ends. Tell me more. So for me in my work, maybe let me back up. So as a doula, right? Like um, for people who don't maybe know exactly what a doula is, I'm not a medical professional. Mm. So I'm here, who, somebody who just is supporting the family giving birth. Right. And that entails a lot of things, physical support, emotional support, spiritual support, informational support. But a lot of it, a lot of the reason why I think my job is even necessary and ways that I might hope someday it's less necessary is because there's this like inherent power imbalance with Mm, the medical system. And I talk about it a lot when I talk about people or even in my little like elevator pitch, but there's this thing that uh, this tension where a lot of people feel and are like reliant on the medical system. And in a lot of ways, it's wonderful like Mm -hmm. and I'm very grateful to have access to modern medicine but in other ways it can feel sometimes even unsafe Mm. and like I said there's this power imbalance and then adding in the factor of like if especially if you're like a black parent or if you are um queer or trans or Mm -hmm. any other kind of like marginalized intersections it really does have this level of sometimes like not being safe Mm. and sometimes not feeling like you have autonomy or agency over your body. Right. I think what's fascinating though, and this is truly sad, um, and just for your personal context, I can cut to this. And I think I come from a more religious background, right? I've talked about this a lot. My sister who's Mormon is here and I'm just hearing her talk about the level of like knowledge she doesn't have. She's like, why does everyone hate Trump? And I'm just like, so. Yeah. How long have you got, sister? (laughs) I know. That's what I said. I was like, I don't even know where to start. She's like, it's not that bad. And then I'm thinking about it. Like she's in Utah. She's in a Mormon circle. That's what she's seen. So like, as you talk about the experience of people of color, trans, queer, like, 
there's people who might be listening who have no idea what that experience looks like and Mm -hmm. why it's problematic. So I'd love if you could talk and explain a little bit about the problems that are in the medical field that someone might not even be aware of. You know, it's very, it's nuanced, honestly, because like, I mean, okay, so first of all, we have these statistics. So like, I'm a birth worker, and we have statistics that show that in our country, black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. Okay. And that's regardless of like socioeconomic status. So, and I say that to be like, in case your brain was going into this place, which I don't blame you for, but is worth examining of these cultural stories of like, well, maybe it's because they're like poor and they just don't take care of themselves and eat fruits and vegetables and all of these like chatter that we have in our culture. I invite you to examine those stories if they were coming up for you, but also it's been, it's, it's regardless of socioeconomic status. So I think the result is just basically a fundamentally racist white supremacist system and that shows up in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that people think that science is like pure and immune, Mm. Um, but scientists are people. (laughs) Doctors are people with like whatever biases that they may not even realize they frequently probably don't realize Mm -hmm. and that shows up in many different ways it might look like a doctor just not really listening to somebody or assuming that they don't know what they're talking about or that they're being dramatic or just dismissing somebody when they or maybe that they're uneducated or things that they think or feel maybe don't have a basis Maybe that they're just somebody who's difficult as a patient. So, and all of those things like can come together and create an unsafe atmosphere. There's also a deep held, a really deep seated programming all the way back from like the invention of race as a construct Mm. and eugenics and some of this stuff of like black people literally don't have feelings as much and I think that some people a lot of people really still have internalized that belief to some extent like have this feeling that like the black parent in birth maybe is tougher or maybe can handle more or maybe doesn't experience pain to the same extent the research on people holding those beliefs yes exactly of being extremely racist and not recognizing the pain in people of color I mean, all of those things. And you can imagine if you're a care provider and like maybe sometimes pain is pointing to a legitimate issue that needs to be treated mm-hmm. or maybe somebody is asking for help or needs help on something that needs to be resolved. Or maybe somebody is like a difficult patient or a bad patient and it wants to resist some like intervention and you don't have time for that, how that could result in dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. So that is just... And I'm not an expert on this stuff, right? Right. But like, those are just some uh, very few things to look at in that direction. That's a start. Right. And I mean, the first thing you talked about, three to four times more likely to die during childbirth. Right. So that's something that's to look huge. at. Like, that's a lot. Huge. It's a lot. And there's also another statistic uh, that I think black babies are like, twice as likely to die when under the care of a white physician than not. 
So, you know, I think it's really easy for people to not believe stuff if they can't relate to mm-hmm. it. And I think that happens a lot with racism, which, oh God, we're, we can go on such. No, I do could it. This is the show. Do it. Like this. Do it. I'll frequently see something where somebody says like, yeah, this person, like I didn't get a good vibe from them. Like they um, treated me in this way. And then maybe white people or people who like whatever aren't in whatever intersection Mm -hmm. being like, that doesn't strike me as true. I've never known them to be like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, because they've never been like that with them probably. Right. So like, how would you know? I think sometimes people don't realize how complex people are and so like we're in this time now where luckily i'm glad it's not cool to be racist like that's a label that people want to avoid but which is like that's a good thing that's good Mm -hmm. like that's the type of thing where i feel like marketing does like good like sure like make it the cool thing to not be racist that that could be helpful right um but also it creates this like extreme situation where People are so afraid of that label that it's like, no, you can't call somebody racist. That's like a life ruining, career ending label. And right. it's like really defensive. Where, and like, you're either like not racist and you're good, or you're racist and you're a monster. And like, how can you say this person is a monster? I know them. They're not, you know, they care about their work. They're in the community. They care about the like patients that they're serving. And it's really just more complex than that. And the truth is, like, first of all, like, yeah, they probably are. Like, we were, this is like a white supremacist racist society. So mm-hmm. just assume you're racist. Me as a white person, I benefit from the white supremacy that exists in this country. And so it's important to acknowledge that that makes me racist, not a bad person, but there is a level of benefit. And if I'm not actively working to dismantle that, Exactly. And I am racist. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with like growing up and being influenced by a culture like and and me as I mean, I'm a black woman, but I'm a biracial black woman with light skin. And sometimes white people don't even recognize me as white I mean, as black. <laughs> and there's a lot of privilege that comes with that. A lot of privilege. And I see it all the time. I think if leaders acknowledge that and took that level of yeah, I grew up in the society and I need I'm constantly digging and doing the work to get better at it. Maybe we could because I think kind of what you're talking about is has that label has this like you're a bad person, you're this, you're this. So people yeah, are hiding. Exactly. People are so defensive, yeah. like so afraid of being called racist yes. when it's like, listen, to me, like this <laughs> I don't know how this is going to come off, but like the, this might not be what white people want to hear, right? But like if I'm looking at if you're white, I'm assuming that you're racist. Mm. Like to some extent, you just are. Yeah. It's not an accusation. I don't hold it against you. That's going to be the natural state in our society. And then it's up to you to actively unpack it, like you were saying, Nicole. Like, so it's more about what you do with that mm-hmm. than like being afraid to have it in the first place. And I also have it. And obviously, race is not the only like oppressive system in our culture. And there are other things that I've also internalized. And I just am like trying my best to be humble about it and unpacking it when it comes up. Exactly, which is what I think everyone should be doing. I think, yeah, what scares me the most are the people who say, oh, I'm not, I'm not racist. And then they choose to never unpack any of the societal messaging. And those are the people that I'm just 
I think a lot of people, I've talked about this before. I was just talking about this the other day. I think it was with my mom mm. um, about how, and I, I sympathize with this because of course you don't want to feel like you're like causing harm. That's a terrible feeling. But I think there's this urge to, people want to feel like at some point they've done enough not to have to keep examining themselves. And so it's like, it's like a little personality quiz where it's like, check off these boxes. Like you get like one point for every black friend you have, Mm. two points if you voted for Obama, like Mm -hmm. five points if you have a black partner. And like eventually, like if your score is 10 or over, you're guaranteed not racist and you don't have to look at yourself anymore. And like, that's just not how it works. No, 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 no. Exactly, because the reality is we live in a society that is still inherently racist. And so that messaging is coming consciously or subconsciously through so many aspects of media, other things that like, this is never over. This is a until the power structures are done. This work needs to be done always. And I think it's hard, though, because when people call you out on that, those feelings of like, oh, I'm a bad person. And it can feel like also like maybe that person has done a lot of work and a lot of unpacking and maybe they have like grown a lot from when they were younger and maybe they like did date that black person and have their eyes open to so many things and it, and it's just never enough. And I can understand like that feeling of like, oh, when is it enough? But I mean, you know, I mean, I never was actively involved So race is something that for me, like I was raised in awareness of and had to be, but like I was an adult when I started like having deep conversations around like gender, for for example, I get it. The feeling like you just never get to relax and not and know that you're like doing it right. But that's just life. That's just an experience of being a person around other people. Exactly. And children do it so much better than we do of just like, oh, new lesson. I know. So fluid, yeah. so flexible. Talking metacognition and all these things. We get afraid to be wrong somewhere along yeah. there. Like we have to be perfect. After we record this, maybe I'll listen back to this podcast for myself yeah. and be like, yeah, Pam, practice being wrong. Like- I've been doing that. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> These conversations, half the time I'm speaking to myself of lessons I need to learn. Yeah, like Lessons that I need. Be kinder to ourselves. It's, it's just so hard because you want to be right. You want to be good. And I think probably what the important thing to do is recognize that that struggle is because we want to be better. And that's a beautiful thing. And we recognize that and we're going to let that go and then still learn. It's maybe partly because I want to be better and also a lot because I want to appear better, Mm. which often hinders actually being better. That's the tough truth. Like perfectionism. I mean, yeah, I always say, I always say our strengths are also our weaknesses. Like certainly like I have a great eye for detail. Like I am constantly learning. I think about what I do a lot. I'm very intentional about things, but man, it is not always helpful at all. Yeah. Cause that level of scrutiny can get very specific. And then you look, I learned a very valuable lesson from learning how to embroider because you're just staring at this little tiny thing for hours. And when you look at it from that small of a perspective, it looks like trash. 
And then you continue to go and make this whole piece and hours later it, it expands. And I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. And I try to tell myself that all the time. Like don't anything you look at too closely is going to look weird. Just take a, mm-hmm. take a deep breath. But that's so hard to remember when our day-to-day is like pulling us in all these different directions. You're just getting micro-focused on like how do I get better? How do I do this? How do I look? And like what are we presenting? Yeah. It can really inhibit like mindfulness and also actual growth Yeah, because I mean, sometimes perfectionism might come out in like an all or nothing type thing. And it ties back to what we were just talking about, like this feeling of like, I do not want to hear this. Like I cannot admit that I might've been wrong. And so you don't have the opportunity to like grow and not be wrong in that same way again. It comes up a lot with my job actually, like, Mm. which is something that... I feel like I can tell that birth work is the calling for me at this moment, like the right place on this path for me is that constantly in my work, lessons are coming up, just like you were saying with the podcast, actually, like constantly, like there are these themes of personal growth for me and the things that I'm working on with parents in like childbirth education are like the same lessons that I need for myself, but what you're talking about of like not knowing things that comes up a lot as a doula and as a parent, because there's so much to know. And mm. I just don't know it all. Like it happens probably every, almost every time I'm talking to a client, something will come up where they're like, do you know about this? Do you have more information on this? And a lot of times, there are a lot of things that I know about, but there's so many things where I'm like, I have not heard of that. Let me like, I can partner with you in finding out more or point you in the direction of some resources, but I'm still waiting for that day. That's where someday I just know everything. <laughs> yes. Wouldn't that I'm be great? For that. <laughs> Would you be willing to share more personally about some of the struggles you have been working through recently and that you've learned? With perfectionism and knowing stuff. Oh man. Even if you don't have the answers, like where are you at right now with learning from your profession? There's so many things. One thing that I work on a lot with parents, one of my like personal, I don't necessarily even share this with them, but sometimes I do if it comes up. But um, in my head, one of my personal goals for working with people, whether it's as their doula or as their childbirth educator, because I also teach prenatal classes, Mm -hmm. is to get people a little bit more more comfortable in the unknown. Yes. And not being so outcome-based. So really, like we all know, everything is the unknown. You make plans and we'll see. You know, you just don't know. The things that you think give you a feeling of safety and security aren't guaranteed, right? Yeah. But usually there's this illusion of control that's quite comforting and birth is one of these things and there are other things like this big experiences in life but birth is certainly one of them where you don't even have that illusion of control once it starts and so how do you plan for that how am i sitting here being like this is a childbirth prep class and also like we have no idea how it's gonna unfold so it becomes much more of this this skills-based thing, or maybe not more, but in addition to being a knowledge-based thing where, sure, you need to know about what potential interventions are to know if you 
want to decline or accept those interventions. You need to know about the stages of labor that can all be helpful as you're choosing providers and as you're making decisions. Right. But also, in addition to the knowledge, you need to develop some of these skills of like, when you inevitably reach this point where things aren't going expected and you don't know what to do, how do you know what to do? How do you keep going? How do you cope? You'll get through it one way or another. Once you're in labor, you're in labor. Like you'll get through it. There's no like going back. (laughs) Um, But are there some skills that you can, and tools that you can have in your toolbox that make it so it's not needlessly traumatic so that maybe you're reducing suffering. Maybe you can even experience it as like a sacred experience and a loving, mindful experience even with the uncertainty and the pain and the vulnerability and all of these other things that typically in our culture and our day-to-day lives, we desperately try to avoid. Okay. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) I want to talk about all of that. Literally, it connects to everything that there is so much of life that we cannot control in that facade. This is a very powerful point. Birth is one of those times where you really don't have it. And I think that's a lot of what Michelle was talking about of how to learn to relax with psychedelics because you don't have that control. And there's so many other trauma, you know, something that frequently is coming up in this podcast, something that was out of your control, all these different situations where we don't have control. And here you are teaching people how to be comfortable in that. A little bit more comfortable is my goal to keep that's a it good realistic point. for myself. Oh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> what do you say? What do you teach them? And I, that's a very good point. A little more comfortable. Yeah, because here I am like, let's get perfectly peaceful. And that's not realistic. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would also just feel like a failure as a teacher all the time if I was like – um, what? They weren't like welcoming the feeling of the lack of control. They weren't like just <laughs> dancing like sacred yes. history at all. Yes. Um, the whole time. Yeah. But I need to learn that lesson. I'll sit back. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. It's a lot easier and more comfortable when it's somebody else. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's hard. You want to help them and you're just like, I see how joy, like, let's get them there. It is hard. But then that's what I was talking about of like mirroring my own work, like yes. for me not to be so outcome based. Like I don't have control over their journey. Like Ugh. I can't actually save them from suffering or pain. And the desire to do that is like something to examine in myself because it's very paternalistic and colonialist Mm. to like do it for them and like save them. So like kind of staying in my lane as the guide and ally who is not the like hero of this journey. And that, Pam, is directly how you save yourself as a care worker, I feel Mm. like is like there's so much burnout for so many different levels of care and it's that paternalistic ownership of like I need to save this person which I think comes a lot from the god complex and the medical system and all these other pieces and so like if we could just teach people that lesson alone it's a practice and I mean it doesn't just come up in this it comes up with parenthood it comes up with being an older sister like it comes up as a partner um Oh, yeah, I can tell that you you had that knowing sister look. I had that conversation literally <laughs> yesterday. I was like, my sister is Mormon and married, and she's 22. And, like, she's going down a very paternalistic, cis, male-controlled life, and it just kills me. Yeah. And so, like, I want to pull her all the time, and I just – I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about this concept of 
holding space and not directing space mm-hmm. and that art and mm-hmm. dance to that and how that is healing to people because frequently I get so excited about my truth that I want to help other people see it, but that's not a good thing. Yeah. And even though I feel like I'm excited to help people, but I'm like, damn, that's taking away from their journey. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's like really necessary lessons there, or maybe there isn't even a why. Maybe there's like that uncomfortable feeling of like, maybe there isn't even a reason they have to go through this, but they still have to anyway. And it's not my decision. It's not my way to hold. It's not my responsibility. I did my training with Birthing from Within. That's my training organization. And something that we do in that philosophy a lot of is art. And so that's a tool that I use a lot for that. It comes up different ways. I might give different art like journaling prompts. But regardless of what the specific activity is and what that prompt is, just the fact of um, me giving you a prompt and you drawing something is like a tiny little low stakes way to practice, especially, honestly, I don't know if it's more challenging for people who are not used to making art or who aren't used to making art, but regardless, it never comes out exactly the way you imagined. And there are a bunch of different reasons why birth why this birth art can be useful and some of it has to do more with like I don't know somatics I guess but like when you're making art it actually slows down your brain waves into a more similar state to Hmm. what you're in when you're in labor so that can be a good way to kind of integrate some of the lessons that in a way that they're accessible again when you're in that state yeah And also just to be hands-on with it, because this is another thing that I always say, but birth is really not a left-brained activity. So to get you into that right brain space and practice being in that space before you're in labor can be really helpful. But also what I was saying earlier is art never turns out how you imagine. And there's some discomfort that comes there, like Mm -hmm. whether it's that you have some like baggage over not being good at it back to like elementary school right. class maybe, or maybe you're used to being good at it and you're like a perfectionist around it. And it's hard to like go and just mm-hmm. let your like subconscious speak through your art and use right. it as a journaling practice um, or whatever the thing is, but it's like a, just a really tiny low stakes way to practice being in the unknown and practice like getting stuck, not knowing what to do, having something feel like it doesn't make sense and keep going anyway. So I encourage a lot of those kind of really minute, low stakes, incremental changes. And it actually ties into what we were talking about earlier with, for me, I feel like that's kind of the antidote to perfectionism is to not even worry about getting there all the way. So there's another activity that I do with people where we can use the example of perfectionism, right? Like, so maybe I would, if I were talking to somebody, I'd be like, okay, where are you with perfectionism on like a scale of like zero to 10? How are you doing with it? Like 10 being you're totally in the flow. You've completely let go of those attachments and zero being like, it's ruling your whole life. And maybe I'm like, I'm a two. It's a struggle for me. We don't even worry about the 10. It's like, okay, let's talk about some ways. What might life look like? What might you be doing differently if you were at 
a two and a half. Like if you went to sleep tonight and in your sleep, a miracle occurred and you woke up tomorrow and all of a sudden you were at a two and a half instead of a two, how would you know that miracle had occurred? What would Mm. you do differently when you woke up? How would you be going about your day? Like what might your friends and your partner notice you doing that would key them in that you're like just slightly further along towards healing this? So those are some of the types of things that we do. Well, I think part of this is that being your authentic self is inherently not perfect. Mm, Unfortunately, I know. Or inherently perfect, depending on how you look at perfection. Yes, that is a big thing too. Yeah, so what is perfection then? We're going to get a little meta, like (laughs) (laughs) a little. This is also half the podcast. I think when I think of perfection, I want everything to be kind of a crystallized structure of all consistent, right? Um, A really... a snowflake, this like perfect pattern symmetry. But the thing is, when you look at nature, Mm. it's nothing like that. Vines are growing everywhere. Leaves are all these different shapes. And like when you look at humans, it's the same thing, just a diverse picture of all this different variety of just stuff. And it's like, I don't know why our perfection is so Rigid, controllable, predictable, and usually to some like external standard. Um, that external standard you know is already approved by society that's i think maybe half the mm-hmm. battle is like that box mm-hmm. over there is beautiful and if i hit that box i will have made happiness sure or i will be safe or yeah. i will achieve love and belonging right um because probably you have some messaging from when you were a very small child and this is other stuff that i do with my parents these are other mm, conversations wow that I have. these are deep um, i know you know sometimes I try to be really like if you look at my website and and look at how I market stuff, I try to be very much out in the open with how um, unconventional and I love vulnerable it. and woo-woo it can be because I really yes. have this fear that people are going to think that they're signing up for a class that's, own, that's limited to here are the stages of labor and here's how you can do everything right and then be really blindsided and not feel like this is valuable when I'm like we're making art and let's talk about your very first story that you heard around birth and what messaging that taught you about what you need to do to be loved and accepted when it comes to your own journey into parenthood. Huge lessons. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I mean, are you thinking about your very first story that you heard around birth right now? I am thinking about the fact that you are very open about how you do this. It's kind of like dating. It's kind of like, I don't know about you, but at, at some point in my 20s, I realized it makes a lot more sense to be yourself on oh, dates instead yes. of trying to get the person to like you because yes. it's just better to have them like not mesh with you up front than to like end up deeper into this relationship and realize that neither of you is going to get your needs met. Exactly. Yeah. As a polyamorous woman, I had to wonder like, do I put that on my profile? Because I know that that's going to, so many people are going to see that and be like, I don't want this person. That's going to filter out some people. Yes. And then you're like, oh, what did you decide? Do you? Oh, it's on there now. I went, so what happened was, is I went through not having it, met a person who was like, I'm open to it. And went down that path for a few months, realized they were not open to it. And then it was so much pain. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this again. I don't need to teach people my value system. I want to meet people that have it. 
So yeah, now it's out there and it's and going well. And then you well. can have like the faith that like, cause, and then sometimes I have people come into my birth classes that I'm like, okay, they don't seem like, and that's me. This is my own bias. Like, I'm like, hmm, you don't really like dress like the type of person who I thought would be on board with all this woo-woo stuff. So I hope I don't turn you off. Right. Um, but I have a trust. I guess they're willing to try, or maybe they're actually like totally into this stuff um, because I didn't hide the ball at all, and here they are. How did you learn to lean into that and trust that people would come? It's a practice, but also it was very specifically one of my mentors. Her name is Carrie. She's one of my birthing from within mentors. She was talking about in marketing, getting a really clear image of your ideal client and marketing directly to them and not being afraid of losing people. And... And it is a fear because it's you kind of want to be able to be like everything to everyone and cast a wide net. But the truth is your ideal person won't recognize that I'm for them if I'm not talking to them. I'm like, okay, so I just do I just come right out and say like I'm a witch? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, do I just and potentially alienate the people who think that means like devil worship? Um <laughs> but who in practice appreciate my methods like do I come right out and talk about my mission of you know manifesting and co-creating like a thriving pleasurable joyful black future and potentially have white people be like maybe she's not for me does that mean she only wants to work with black people you know and there's mediums like I think on my website it actually says energy healer so in case you're cool with energy but you aren't as the word which doesn't resonate with you for me that's a conscious decision that embodies things that are important to me but it doesn't have to be the word which to get at what I'm talking about when did you learn to trust that though because I think that what you're talking about is related to identity in so many different ways of just this is who I am and this is what I do and this is what I believe in And I think that somewhere there must have been a point for you or like not a direct point, but just a journey to trusting that, yeah, this is who I am. How did you come into that confidence? You mean to know who I am in the first place, these things that apply to me or to be comfortable putting it out there? Yes, to both. I think that the second question is completely dependent on the first, but takes an even bigger leap of faith to be out and open about your value system in a way that could lead to judgment, less of clients, and that takes a deep form of trust to yourself and your own value system. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's a practice too. And then sometimes I I, I think everybody does, but sometimes I definitely feel like a fraud as well. Mm. Um, but like sometimes I'm like, I put myself out here as this experienced energy healer. Like, is this class woo-woo enough? Are they getting all the ceremony <laughs> yeah. and ritual they were expecting? Like, yes. am I living up to my my branding? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I transitioned to this career from a really conservative. I used to be an attorney. I used to be an wow. property attorney. And so that's like an old fashioned. Well, that's not the right way to put it. Birth is much more old-fashioned, right? True. Than law. <laughs> yes. But, um, <laughs> but it's a very, like, conservative field. Mm-hmm. It's very male-dominated, especially in intellectual property is even more – I think these days there are more female attorneys than men, but not in IP because it's – you have to have a technical background, so it's, like, a bunch of engineers and stuff, and which – don't get me started. Why that's male dominated, I don't know, but um, mm. it is in our culture. 
and it tends to be very white and it also tends to be old and I was working for a company. I wasn't working for myself. And so I think that part of it, the comfort is just celebrating the freedom to be able to put that stuff out there. And I'm building my own job and building my own career path. And so I'm like, okay, now I'm like on in my own business and in my business, having had my witchy art featured on these witchy podcasts is like on my resume, like, Ooh, that's so exciting. like my work as an energy healer, like my experience there is on my resume too. And also like my training and advocacy and like whatever other things that might typically be on a resume languages. So I think it's, I think I'm really excited to have that freedom to be like finding a space for myself in the world where every facet of myself can be an asset instead yes. of like wanting to needing to succeed to by only playing up these couple of things and pushing these other ones to the shadows and like making sure that none of my tattoos are visible and like um dressing a certain way or whatever but I remember one time reading I don't think I have any more I used to have this coffee table book on like Sesame Street and the history of Sesame Street I'm a big fan of Jim Henson I'm a huge Muppets fan <laughs> he's like a huge artistic inspiration cool, cool. of mine I love whimsy. So um, I used to have this book and in like just the introduction or something, it was talking about one of the ladies who created Sesame Street and how children's television really wasn't a thing prior to that. And so when you look at her career path and her resume, she built it herself. It wasn't like, oh, here's like the training that you get, like, oh, I majored in like children's public television in college it was like she had her background in like I don't know primary education and then she did some journalism and she did work with tv and she like combined those seemingly disparate things herself and I think that's so rad now for me like in a second career I have the opportunity to kind of do that for myself I've unconsciously been building my resume for this like job that I'm making up and I find it really exciting. So I think that's where the comfort comes in is I'm going to put on my like experience as an energy healer and my like presentation on shadow work at this like women's retreat, you know, all the other fun stuff that eh, never was on my resume before. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what you're talking about how of being a lawyer and transitioning to a doula. And I think what breaks my heart partially is that so much of our childhood, high school age is really pushing this concept of what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? And then we get locked into these concepts of like, okay, it's doctor, teacher, lawyer, business. And then people start going down that path. And then once you're down that path, changing from being a full-time lawyer after going to school for four years and getting your Juris Doctorate debt and to walk away and go somewhere else pam that's incredibly strong like you thank you that's a whole lifestyle that you built and had successfully done i think that for me like with my just personal like psychology or whatever i think it helped me have the courage to leave because i had that and so i felt like i had something that i could fall back on like i feel like i can i'm not completely free falling like if things get really unstable and I need a day job at an office. Like I can get a day job at an office. Like I have a law degree. There's a lot of like privilege there that I have. uh, And it gave me a little bit of a feeling of safety. Actually, it was a fellow attorney when I, 
I had been kind of plotting this change for a while before it, and then announced it to my colleagues when I was actually making the move and actually leaving. And I talked to one of the attorneys who is a partner at the law firm. He's a really cool person. And I told him that I was planning on making this change. And he was like, you know, I say this to my son all the time, who was like a freshman at college at the time, but he was like, he was like, when you order a pint of beer, that is you buying the opportunity to drink that whole pint of beer. You are not obligated to finish the whole thing. You can buy it and take a couple sips and you don't have to drink the rest of it, but it's there if you want it. It's not supposed to be a trap. It's supposed to be an opportunity. The problem though then is, oh, I had this sip of beer. I don't like this. Now what do I order on the menu? Mm, yeah. And like now you have to look at a whole new menu yeah. of life and re and go super uncomfortable. And so like at that point people say, oh, look, I have beer right here. Like I could just – I can just – and this is – God, this is just everything in life. Relationships. When you're in a bad mm-hmm. relationship and you're like, is it time to break up? And they're like, I don't know what the future is going to look like. I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. This job, like I don't like this, but getting a whole new career is scary. Yeah. I'll stay here. It took some soul searching. There was a while. Um, and so for me, I I was in that place for a long time. The reason I ended up a lawyer in the first place was not because I loved being a lawyer or thought that I would love it. It was because I was like, well, I don't know what my dream job would be. And this ticks enough of those boxes. So it's very much that energy. But also it's kind of more nuanced than that. It's like, sure, you don't know what your dream job is, but also there was this feeling of like, I'm also really afraid to admit that I'm not happy in this job and that I want something else. Like not even beginning that soul searching because that might mean that I have to do something about it and change. And that is extremely scary. And I got this job because of the feeling of stability. I thought it would give me like the feeling of like being able to have a career for the next 35 years and not have to worry about change. So, but once I finally acknowledged that I was like hearing that call, like that, to something else it took some soul searching and I was like what might I like to do instead like if I look at it as an opportunity where I maybe the future doesn't have to look one way maybe can look any way I wanted it if I were going to do anything what would I want to do I landed on birth work for now you know and I feel really confident in that call for now and I also feel like aligned for me it feels like where I'm supposed to be right now and It also feels like maybe it's the ingredient of maybe I'm still like building that fantasy resume, right? Like maybe in 30 years, it'll be like, and I've trained as a doula and I have this experience with birth and that influences this bigger work that I'm doing now or this other work that's maybe not exactly the same. Huge things that I'm connecting to because I've been thinking about these things personally. So it's just fascinating to hear someone express words that I have been reflecting on from different sides of the angle of just like life because I have nothing to do with birth work right now, you know, but you do. And we're talking about the same concepts of just like holding on to an idea of like, this is what I want to do. And when do you acknowledge that that's no longer what I want? And like having the humility to admit that that is no longer what I want is so difficult. It is. It is. Because you sometimes it'll be like you have something to prove, especially like 
especially for me moving into this career where it's like, maybe I have this feeling. It's not like, oh, you're going to be a lawyer. That is so impressive and so amazing. So there was some fear leaving that of people being like, what are you doing? And so it can be easy to be entrenched in like, I'll show them like, that means that this has to work. Or like, to use your example of dating, like when somebody expresses like, questions about a partner and you're like I'll show them they're the one we'll get married and like you know yeah maybe don't you know maybe that's not like the vibe but it can be hard not to get in that space or be like oh I have to prove that I can do this perfectly but it kind of goes back to that same thing of like being more comfortable in the unknown letting things unfold naturally and actually before I switched my career. Um, in my last couple years of working at that law firm, I took a step back from actually practicing law and I was doing project management. And so I was like transitioning the office into like more agile project management. And so like, I won't get into the whole like tech bro type thing, but like in the project management world, it's that same thing of like, how can you be agile instead of like, when it comes to efficiency, it is really inefficient to build an extremely detailed plan and spend your time doing that mm. because we know that things don't go, go according to plan. So like, how much do we need to make a start and how can we develop the tools to be able to be agile as things unfold? And it's kind of, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. And that's the biggest understanding of life because ultimately what we literally started the podcast with of we don't know what the future is and that is the scariest thing to accept truly but I think and you might resonate with this I've been thinking more that like when I choose to ignore that reality I stay stuck in these spots and I I, I go like I don't want to move because I don't know what the future is and then in doing so you stay stuck in one place and never live and see the world and so it's like no one wants to confront the reality, though, that the future is inherently super unpredictable and that even the people that you feel secure and love today could disappear tomorrow yeah. and even your whole career could blow mm-hmm. up or like all these things. And I mean, now we're just talking Buddhism, right? Of just like it, change is constant. Yeah. You have to accept that. But not, be- yeah, unattachment. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me and maybe a lot of people have had this experience as an adult, but one of the things that prompted me really realizing that I wanted to change careers was I had Mm -hmm. a child. I had some Mm -hmm. major like illness in my family. And also there was some instability in my job. And so it was like very present, like, and difficult and painful sometimes nudges Mm -hmm. to remind me that like, like you said, Um, stability is not guaranteed. Like no matter what you do, no matter what things you're clinging to, the things that are in your comfort zone, there's another podcaster, actually Joanna DeVoe um, from the Hippie Witch podcast. She has this thing where she calls, she says your comfort zone is the zone of lies um, because you think it's going to protect you from change and it blocks you from growth and still doesn't protect you from change. You know what I've been thinking about? Stagnant water. Yeah. What happens? It It's fascinating that when water becomes stagnant, it creates – there's still life there. creates, you know, algae, moss, question mark, don't even know. Right. But it becomes <laughs> death for us. Right. Like it literally will kill us if we drink that water. Like our life is so fluid and constantly moving and just like ah, 
how well, do it feels you uncomfortable though, right? Like exactly. I mean, and you maybe you're somebody with some like faith in your life. Maybe you have some kind of like spiritual something where you're like, no, I don't. I'm not. I'm just out here. Um, yeah. There's this saying that's coming to mind, but it's like God's plan's better than your plan. I don't necessarily like um, resonate with like God as a word for the divine these days, but that does happen like when you let go of that thing that you're holding on to that like partner that you know is not working ah uh, don't say that too many times it's going to hit me right now <laughs> oh god i'm sorry <laughs> no but it's no say it i need to hear it um you sometimes become available for things that are way you do i know better. um but it's so hard well cuz that that's a cute saying that you use in retrospect right that's like after right. you're like after you break up with that boy who you thought you were gonna marry because that's what you pictured and then you realize yeah. how much a bullet you dodged and then you're having yep. such a healthier ha- happier life then you're like oh yeah right. like that's plan's better than your plan but like when you're in the moment it's like oh no my plan sounds great my plan's quite good yeah. let's go with that please exactly like- <laughs> yeah it's it's hard. I mean, yeah, that's change. Change, constant. This is inherently all of what we're talking about. I think it's interesting, though, because, yeah, I need to take this lesson, so I'm trying to take about it personally, not for the podcast, of just, like, it's very hard as a poly person to understand the freedom that that brings in how you disperse your energy and who you can have in your life. Some people are good in certain ways and how to, like, learn how to keep them at a distance versus needing to close the doors that I think monogamy makes very easy because you can just be like, I need a new whole person versus, like – Right, like relationships might shift. You might go from that person being your romantic partner to having a different role in your life that's still in your life. Yeah, I don't have experience with – polyamory i am in a monogamous marriage so it's like new concepts to me i'm actually my husband and i together are reading the book do you know the book the ethical slut yes yeah i read it love it it's so good it really has me unpacking a lot of kind of just monogamous culture um yeah when when they talk about like consensual monogamy i'm like wow have i ever participated in that like Mm. you you can't really until you unpack it and decide that you want to opt in like right because society taught you that you have to be monogamous yeah so i'm kind of just new to these concepts myself too if you really like The Ethical Slut, I would recommend – because The Ethical Slut gives a very big, broad overview of non-monogamy. And then if you are interested in polyamory, it More Than Two is a great book. And it I want to plug so much of the concepts from polyamory that have changed my life of like how – just to reorient your relationships to people of like instead of us – and this is a whole topic I want to have a podcast on, but changing your perspective from a scarcity mindset of like, I need to keep my partner here, here versus like an abundance mindset of knowing that they can go out and they'll still come back because I have value. Or what's really scary is they can go out and they might not come back and I still have value and there's still plenty for me and maybe it's not going to be from them. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier of like, 
even if you're not polyamorous, it might not be from them. Like, even if you, you exactly. can do all the things that you do to yes. like protect yourself and make yourself feel safe, you can get married. That doesn't mean, guarantee that you're going to stay together forever. Like, yes, but no one wants to confront that reality. And yeah. so that's why it's interesting. People always ask me, like, you're going to be alone and polyamorous forever. And I'm like, how is that alone? That's so interesting that people say that. They say that I think because of the marriage concept because then they're like, oh, are you going to get married? Like you're not going to have the stability of a quote-unquote marriage. Well, you might, first of all. Like some – I know I, – I mean a lot of people do. Like – Yes. Yes. I'm close with a polycule and there are people in there who are married and like that's a thing. I don't even know if I want that, right? But yeah. like it's like – it's people just come back to this assumption that if that's what you are doing, then you're not going to be interested in marriage and you're going to be alone just like – whole other conversation like the like the um like worship of marriage is so weird in our culture and I say this as somebody who's happily married like I'm married I'm glad I got married I would do it again with this person but I don't get why it's viewed as a superior state it seems small when I think about like oh we're talking about monogamy versus relationships but like at the core of all of this is human connection which is life yeah and all of these things all these systems and structures and it's so interesting to me that people are thinking that you're limiting yourself in some way or you might be missing out on an experience by choosing polyamory when literally the concept of monogamy and marriage is deliberately limiting your experience and that can be beautiful and sacred but like yes i mean if you're worried about missing out on stuff like marriage is not the thing right like it's deliberately exclusive but Yes, it's very interesting, and it's very much all the same themes we've been talking about of all these systems that we think are going to keep us protected and safe. I know, because there's there's so many ideas here, and I think all of this – I was trying to think about this for my own dissertation of, like, what is this? Like, what are we talking about right here, and where do we see it? Like, I feel like I see this in objectors, people like you – Uh, artists, people who are like listening to themselves, um, people who come out and are proud about their minority identities that might be different than the mainstream culture. And like, what is that? Like, what Mm. is that word for that? Mm. I don't know. I'm so interested to like read your book when you find out (laughs) and (laughs) write about it. This is what I found in my research. Yeah, I was like, dang, this podcast after I make whatever, you know, couple of years of doing this kind of work, like, what can I learn about being authentic? Yeah. And I think one of the things I want to ask you is, how does it feel to be living your authentic life? Mm, Well, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say because it's really a journey because I'm not all the way there. Like, and how can I be? So I don't know, because part of me, like, if you asked, like, law school classmates of mine, or even maybe grade school classmates of mine, they might have said that I already was. They might have been like, oh, look, Pam, Mm -hmm. she wears different clothes than we do. Like, look, she has these different interests. Like, oh, she plays instruments and makes art, and she, like, studies these different things, you know? So maybe not constrained by some of those boundaries that they felt like they were, and yet I was still very much, like, not fully... Um, embodying my self in my mm-hmm. outward life choices. So it's hard to say. I mean, it does feel like a big, beautiful step. And I'm glad actually to have the chance on this podcast to like reflect on mm-hmm. that a little bit that like, yeah, I did make that career shift and that was a long time coming and pretty scary. And I kind of just yes. flew right by that and just 
didn't kind of integrate that shift and just kind of was like, okay, now how can I build this business? Pam, that's an immense strength. I mean, I don't know. There's still many other things. I was just thinking this morning on my way back from Dunkin' Donuts, how like maybe some future things might be like my relationship to like, maybe not feeling like I need to like buy stuff and maybe not. And Mm. like my relationship to the earth and like, you know, we try to reduce, we use like cloth diapers and we do it wherever it's easy you know, pretty easy. Mm-hmm. We compost or whatever, but like, there's so much unnecessary waste that we're still a part of. Um, so I don't know. I'll let you know someday, someday when I'm fully yeah. authentic and I have well, all the answers and I'm perfect to like check what? back in on me. <laughs> okay. I want to push you a little bit. I would say you're doing it now. You are doing it now. You're living it every day. I mean, I don't know you that well, but from what I'm hearing, you're constantly asking yourself, does this resonate with me? And the reality is like, oh, will I become this authentic person one day? I mean, like whatever that is you imagine, I think will just be what changes with time, right? Like as you currently live in your state, you're asking and living this and following your value system and trusting. That's huge, Pam. And that's a – that's a big strength that I want to acknowledge in you to leave a whole career you built. Thank you. Um, thank you. I don't know. I feel like a little kind of baby on this path. I'm not sure how I, how it feels yet. Um, Hmm. but yeah, I mean, it feels good. It feels beautiful. Like to have the opportunity to shape my life how I want. And it has me asking so many bigger questions. So many other things are unfolding already just from making that choice. Like I, thought it was about what work I was doing. Like, okay, I don't want to practice law. I want to do birth work. And already I'm having the opportunity to be like, okay, and how do I want to practice birth work? Like, and what kind of structures do I want to be a part of? How do I want to, how can I structure my business in a way that is anti-capitalist? Because now I get to structure my own business. And so I get the option to make the decisions to be like, okay, if I collaborate with people, I can choose to do it in a way that's not exploitive. And those are options and opportunities that you just don't have when you're an employee in somebody else's business. Certainly, certainly. So it feels good and exciting. And like one shift and one new possibility leads to infinitely many more possibilities and things to explore and ways to grow and interests to be curious about. And so that's why I also feel like it feels expansive and beautiful and exciting. And also like the more I go, the more I feel like a beginner because there's like so many more things laid out in front of me. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes so much sense. And I think, let me get a little woo-woo, but like that's life. That's all of life. Yeah. And when you think about – and I, I I, am really drawn to physics. And when you think about physics of Newtonian physics, all these things that we thought we understood. And then in the 50s, 60s when quantum mechanics came out and we just hit this big, oh, we actually are completely wrong in everything that we thought. And now we have no idea what's going on to the atom in these moments and we can't measure it. That is science in general too, though. I feel like that is the history of science in a nutshell is, and I feel like people forget that, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this could be a whole other tangent. I'm like having fun here, but I'm, I've studied science. 
I'm vaccinated, right? Like, I'm not like, like, so the party line of like science is real. I, I am with like the intention behind that, I think. But also, mm-hmm. I feel like people sometimes think that science is a little bit more than it is. Like, um, yes. a little bit more like, oh, it's scientific, it's evidence-based, and therefore it is objective truth. And that's not really what science is. Like, we're observing and making our best guesses. And like, if we look at the history of it, it's like, this is our working theory based on what we have now. And it will eventually be replaced by the better theory when we get, when we continue to get more observation, when we're able to observe more closely and more accurately, and we have more information, Mm -hmm. then we will shift the theory to match that information. Right. If you study psychometrics and then you look at how much of data is truly interpretation and like understanding that and depending on what tests you use versus your focus versus the factors you have in your study, blah, 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 that changes everything. But the problem is not everyone can have that and really understand whether what this study is presenting is truth or not. Yeah. Think about the vaccine autism connection cases. Those came out with theories, research that was later debunked as completely wrong. And because of that, though, it propagated a whole Mm -hmm. conscious thought group of people that Mm -hmm. really connect those things now. Scary. It is scary. I mean, it's just kind of like, I feel like this whole podcast is me being like, oh, you think this thing will make you safe? It won't. Wrong. You think science (laughs) is safe? It's objective. It's not. Like, there's nothing you can cling to. Like, yes. Maybe that is the inherent vision of my podcast is just recognizing there's nothing here. Because government, we think this is exactly what I talked about with Michelle. We think government's there for us. Right. And it's not. And we think the medical system is there for us all the time. And inherently, it's not. And like, there's some good systems are complex. People are complex. Systems are made of yeah. people. You know, like yeah. science doesn't exist without scientists. Scientists are people. Like it's it's just complex. But I mean, and uh, I I said that, but I to me it doesn't feel like oh, so you can't rely on the things that were like your stable foundation. And so Plan B is to like panic and like hate life like at all. It's like okay, so what can we do with this? Like, okay, like bad news, the existing structure maybe isn't doing everything we want it to do. Good news, we have space now to like dream. Like, yeah, like there are oppressive systems to, and I don't know, have you ever read the book um, Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown? I literally was going to tell you to read that book because I was like, God, you would love it. It's hugely influential on me and her work in general is hugely influential. Emergent strategy. Emergent strategy also. And talking about like building a business and participating in structures that I want to participate in. But like it wasn't until I read her book that um, I really thought about the concept of, I guess, like essentially what she calls pleasure activism in conjunction with criticizing and dismantling these oppressive systems or maybe reforming if there's like room for reformation depending on the system. In addition to that, like taking the space to dream and be like, okay, but what do we want to build? What's the forward looking like vision? Where's the pleasure? And so for me, like breaking free of this, these systems give you room 
to do and I mean that's what you're talking about with relationship anarchy right like and exactly I'm being a being a beginner and a baby of things I literally heard of that term like last week but tell me my guess is that like if you wanted to have be monogamous or be monogamous for a while you still could within relationship anarchy it's not about limiting your options it's about like you get to craft whatever vision you want yes I've always waited to plug pleasure activism on this podcast. So thank you. <laughs> like, just like, yes, I've been waiting. And yeah, when I think about that, I think this is all existentialism. Have you studied existentialism? No, I almost want to like call my husband in here. He has a master's degree in philosophy. Like, <laughs> a brief, and I hope I don't do it any injustice, but existentialism is this concept that there is no inherent like point and objective to the world and our existence which is when you look at that and face it for what it is it's terrifying because Mm -hmm. then you ask what is my purpose but then existentialists would say that's the beauty of life inherently that because there is no objective answer you get to subjectively choose Mm -hmm. and all the subjective truths are equally valid and like that's my humanist existentialist psychology viewpoint but that's exactly what you're talking about and i think I was thinking about this metaphorically as you were speaking of like when we lay on the beach, right, and the water is coming up to us and like the waves are going back and forth. There's never this point at which we go, I'm angry because that wave was different than the other wave. Like nature just has this inherent system to it that is never the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that leads into a whole conversation about beauty standards and everything too. And like – when we were talking earlier, what is perfection? Like maybe the idea is that it's imp- impossible not to be perfect. I think about with beauty standards, I think about like the seasons as well. Like, like, can you imagine if, especially with like, I think about like trees and their leaves going through cycles and then our cultures like aging and beauty standards. And like, can you imagine if the summer leaves were like trying to like squish themselves back into bud shapes and wearing like body shaping garments to like make them look more like springtime leaves? Like when we know that like the summertime leaves are just as beautiful, the aging uh, like fall leaves are just as beautiful. Like, um, yes, it's a cycle. There's a time for birth and death and it's all a cycle. It's fascinating. I'm almost a little bit uncomfortable because this is what I've been writing. I've been trying to lean more into like my beauty as a writer and that you're, you're speaking what I'm writing. And what I recently went on a camping trip and was writing about all of these concepts of cycles, life, death, and looking at nature and trees. And so I'm just like, that's so beautiful. Why are you feeling uncomfortable? You're, almost reading my own personal diary that I haven't shared to anybody yet. Oh, yeah. 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 And so, like, that wavelength level of, like, someone coming back and, like, reflecting my personal inner space that I've been trying to live my life to that I haven't had the confidence to start preaching about, you know, and, like, hearing you come back, I was like, whoa. Like, that... Rad. Cool. So it's alive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. Um, Yeah. You just, like, read my inner heart of writing and working and, like, yes. That's so beautiful. I'm just, like, here as your messenger from the universe. You're on the right track. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it hits all of the things that I want to talk about. And I think it's interesting because like these podcasts, when I record, it's like, oh, what am I going to record about? Like, do I need to have a set structure of like 
this is a doula. I'm going to ask her how to best give birth or whatever, you know what it is? And it's like, no. Podcast anarchy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, we're going to talk about whatever's on her heart today. Like, and this is where we're at today. And I think Honestly, it's Honestly, I did not expect it to be like this. And it's been really fun. Like, Good. I, like I said, I was nervous because I think I was nervous a little bit. I was like, what if like the things that she wants to ask about are things that I don't feel knowledgeable about? Mm. Like questions that I'm like, uh, I don't know. But that hasn't been the case because I'm just saying whatever. Your truth. And I love it. And it's beautiful. And you're living it. And I can see it in your smile and your calm and your ease and your demeanor. It's a beautiful state. Thanks. Yeah. This is yeah. Fun, like, really fun. You were talking about the art. Could you send readers home with like a prompt to try something? Or is that like not really going to be feasible? Ooh, um, yes, I would love to do that. Let me think about it for a second. Okay. So this art activity is called Seeing Myself as a Parent. And you're going to need a paper and something to draw with. Colors would be nice if you have some markers, crayons, pastels, colored pencils. If not, a pen or a pencil is great. I've done this activity with just that. So to begin with, you may wish to close your eyes, slow your breath down. Just take a couple deep grounding breaths to get centered in your body. Allow your mind to quiet. And beginning from a place of curiosity and discovery, try to feel into your inner parent. You may have heard of your inner child just like everybody has an inner child, everybody has an inner parent. Whether you have actual children or plan to have actual children or not, this archetype lives within you. So you might have to wait for a moment for something to emerge, that's okay. There's no rush. And once you start to connect to this inner parent within you, I want you to consider how might you imagine yourself? How might you imagine your inner parent? What characteristics do you notice? As you see your inner parent in your mind's eye, explore the details. What do they look like? Maybe what kind of clothes do they wear? How old are they? What do they know? How might they comfort a child? Maybe you, your inner child. How do they react when a child is upset? And when you're ready, when you feel a bit connected to that archetype, come back to your paper and art supplies and allow yourself to create a symbolic representation of yourself as a parent. So maybe draw what that means to you. And it could be a representative image 
of a human, or it could be an abstraction. It could be symbols or colors that mean something to you. But whenever you're making art, doing these art processes, I always remind people that it's really much more about the process than about creating a finished piece of art. So the end result does not matter as far as artistic merit goes. And if you want to pause this podcast and take maybe even a couple minutes, maybe five or ten minutes to draw, go ahead and do that. And when you're finished and you feel like you're done, you can come back to this. And once you're finished, take a step back from your piece. Disconnect from it a little bit. Step away from the creator and shift into an observer. And when you're looking at this art that you made, I want you to get curious. Open your mind to the fact that there might be more there than you consciously intended to put in this piece. If you're somebody who has any experience with like maybe reading tarot cards, that might be something familiar to you, but open your mind to this process. Notice Is there anything in the art that you may not have seen at first? Is there anything that surprises you? Maybe you thought you would have thought seen yourself as a parent one way and something different came out. So Get into the feeling of the drawing. What was the feeling when you were making it? Was it nurturing? Was it angry? Were you scared? Were you at peace? Is there a story behind the art? Is there anything that doesn't make sense to you that might require further exploration or maybe something that feels like it's missing something that you wish you would have included but didn't for some reason and then what might that missing thing symbolize about your life So ask yourself some of these questions and you can go through them just in real time as I did or if It feels like there's something deeper to explore. I always love journaling. For me, sometimes doing these art processes, it'll bring up a theme that I'll be exploring and um, asking myself that question for weeks or months as I'm learning on that theme. But that is just a little preview of one art process that we do at birthing from within. And if you do it and you like it, I'd be really interested to hear people's experiences. Did this give you any useful insight to how you might treat yourself 
and your inner child or maybe your literal children? Did it give you any insight about the care that maybe your inner child needs, the parent figure that they are looking for or craving? Maybe some healing to do within your own relationship to your your own parents who raised you? But let me know. Message me on Instagram or something. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that ahead of time. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm excited. (laughs) And I'm sure the listeners loved whatever you just shared. (laughs) So then that leaves the only last question I have to ask you, which I know you listen to the podcast. I know, so I have a little bit of a spoiler. What is the one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? It's funny because we actually had an entire whole lengthy conversation about it earlier in this podcast, but... I was thinking about this ahead of time because I just couldn't help it. I wanted to feel no, yeah. <laughs> like, And the thing that really came to mind that I truly wish that other people slash me realized mm-hmm. was more normal Fair. is realizing that you were wrong, admitting that you were wrong and course correcting and having that be the goal is course correction rather than being right in the first place. This is a lesson for you, future Pam, when you go back and listen to this (laughs) recording. (laughs) Yes. I wish I had words to ease that, but I don't. I don't think it has to be so uncomfortable as it is. I truly don't. Mm. Like, I think that perfectionism is this deep fear of being wrong. And, but maybe you don't have, maybe it doesn't have to be so scary. Like, just assume that you will be wrong. And maybe there can be some, like, grace that you can practice yes correcting when inevitably Mm -hmm. you are exactly and I think when you feel that thought of oh something's wrong here asking yourself why do I feel that way and I would say frequently it's because there's a value system that you want that this action misaligned with and Mm. like you know I want to be a caring soul I want to be this I want to be an intellectual and understanding that like That is my value. I understand I didn't hit the mark, but that doesn't define me. Mm. And that's okay. This is a process. And so now we're going to take what you said and like redefine it, find new actions to keep going towards that way. Because we like frequently hit the mark, miss the mark actually, and then say, that's it. That's it. I missed it. I can't do it again. Or like, I cannot admit that I missed it because it's so uncomfortable to recognize that I do not always behave in a way that the person I think of myself as being would behave. I don't think there's anything else to say other than it's hard and that's normal. Yeah, but maybe it gets easier with practice. Exactly. I like that. Let's end with that. It gets easier with practice. This is a muscle, humility, change. This has been beautiful. It's been so great to have you and to probe the world through your mind and just like see your perspective. Same. This has been an extremely... If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Yura Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.